Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Digital Voices, Ed Marks here. And as you know, Digital Voices was created not just from a provider side mentality, but we also wanted to explore all aspects of healthcare, which includes life sciences, the payer community, big tech, and today's focus on pharma. So we haven't spent a lot of time in our first 100 episodes talking about digital transformation of pharma, but that's exactly what we're gonna do today. And, and, and a- aspects related to it, like cyber, analytics, and the whole disruption of, of the supply chain, all, everything pharma uh, inclusive. So it'll be really, really fascinating. I'm actually super looking forward to this because this is some new territory for me as well. And so I've invited back one of our previous guests, Dr. Dave Levine. Welcome, Dave. Thanks, uh, Ed. Always a pleasure. And um, I'm, I'm glad. I, I think I titillated you a little bit with some of this the last time we met. So I'm, I'm glad it worked and we've got a chance to go a little deeper on this. Yeah, you did. And in fact, it was episode number 90. For those who want to go back to that episode, we talked about digital transformation, kind of for future state, future look, you know, because Dave, just to remind everyone, you, you know, you, you're a longtime leader, a clinician in tech uh, and a friend uh, and currently as chief medical and information officer at Flow Corporation. We're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing there. But yeah, you're exactly right. The last time we talked, we sort of touched on this area and we're like, dang, we need to have you back. And so I'm glad uh, that you came back. So on episode 90, people can find out all about your playlist and they can find out all about your your journey to where you are today. But we do want to ask one personal question. The last place you visited outside of North America. Yeah, that was a great question. I had to think about it. Um, so I don't know if you consider the Caribbean outside of North America or not. If you do, then it would have been St. Thomas for Christmas last year with the extended family. But but that's kind of a boring answer. The, the more interesting answer is um, uh, Nepal. Uh, and, uh, I went there for two weeks as I was contemplating what was going to come next for me after Cleveland Clinic. Uh, so I went on a kind of individual pilgrimage and, uh, was a wonderful time for me to sort out and, uh, reflect on, um, all the blessings that have come into my life and what, what was the sensible and spiritual thing for me to do next. And, um, so that, that was my last time outside of North America. And then unfortunately COVID came and I haven't done a whole lot of traveling since then. Yeah, that's fascinating. See, that might be the next podcast. You might be our first triple uh, <laughs> guest. That I've not been to Nepal either. As, as you know, my wife's near the board, raised near the border of Nepal in North India and in the Himalayas. And so we always talked about next time we go, which we try to go back every year, next time we go, uh, I, you know, I love mountains and love climbing. So might hit a few mountains and Nepal and, and make our way to uh, Everest Base Camp. So, but it's, it's on my list. So I'll have to talk to you first about. Oh, def- uh, definitely. I, I've got a guy in Kathmandu. So. All right. I will hook you up with my guy. <laughs> all right. No, and then we'll have a podcast on it because there might be other people interested. It's, it's, there you uh, go. On multiple. All right. So let, let's talk. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it to you here for a second. Tell us how you. How you came about, you know, uh, 
that what's going on in pharma and tell us about, you know, at, at a high level, tell us about the digital transformation is taking place and then we'll break it down into smaller chunks and talk about it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's another Dave Levin as Forrest Gump of healthcare story. Uh, I had called a friend and colleague of mine who's been a successful entrepreneur in the Richmond, Virginia area. Uh, and I was just starting to do some networking to think about what I might do next. Um, and I really called him for some advice and hopefully some introductions. And about halfway through the call, he asked me if I'd be interested in coming to work for him. And um, I didn't really know what he was up to at the time, but it turned out um, that he had, was a co-founder of this company, Flow, which is P-H-L-O-W, uh, based in, in Richmond, Virginia. And the mission of the company is to end the chronic shortage of essential medicines in the United States. And what a lot of your listeners probably don't know is we have a chronic problem with unavailability of critical and essential medicines in the United States. Uh, some of them are medicines that are chronically in shortage. Sometimes the shortage moves around. Um, it is often really basic things. Uh, we're talking about electrolyte solutions and epinephrine uh, and, and things like that. Uh, and we are particularly interested in the sterile generic injectable market because it's, it's one of the least stable. Um, and um, we were really fortunate uh, to be founded uh, with a, a, a very substantial U.S. government contract that is essentially the seed money to allow us to build out a completely different approach to the way these medications are manufactured uh, and distributed and the economics. Because um, it turns out that like a lot of complex problems, there's lots of reasons why we have chronic shortages. Um, it begins with the fact that for many of these molecules, you know, they're 30 years old or, or older. Um, they're made using uh, conventional batch processes, which are very labor intensive. They're dirty. Uh, and so they've migrated out of the United States to places like China and India. And if you look at it, you'll often find, you know, 80% of these types of medications uh, originate from China. They might begin in China and go through India for some finishing, but, but a, a substantial fraction are made overseas using these, these old processes. And what we're doing is we're leveraging a completely different manufacturing process called continuous manufacturing. Um, it's been used in other industries for a long time, but it's relatively new to pharma. And so we're going all the way back to the beginning. We're, we're reimagining the basic chemistry of these molecules, figuring out how to use different starting materials that are more readily available, uh, and, and then um, leveraging this continuous manufacturing process to do it in a way that's highly automated, uh, that's, that's less labor intensive, much greener, much, much more efficient. Um, and so uh, I know it's kind of trite to say this, but, but effectively better, faster, cheaper, greener way to make these molecules that have been around for a long time. Um, 
which is is really terrific, um, but it's not enough because there's also issues in the pharma supply chain, and there's issues in the economics, in the business arrangements as well. So one of the other key things we're doing is we're looking at how to optimize the supply chain, and we're working directly with our customers. So we formed a children's hospital coalition um, where we're working with now uh, over two dozen leading children's hospitals to have them work with us to identify what are the products they need and then to enter into long-term purchase agreements that will provide the stability that allow and the predictability that allows us to build a, a reliable supply. Um, there's other aspects to this as well, and you and I are going to get into the data and analytics in a moment. Um, but the bottom line here is um, we we are are moving with partners in multiple arenas to secure the supply to as much as possible onshore it to the United States, and to remove the factors that cause unreliability in that supply, whether it's cost or quality, uh, or, you know, extended sub global supply chains. Um, and there's an awful lot of opportunity in, in all of those things. All right. That was a bit of a lecture. Let me stop here so yeah. you can get in a couple of questions. Um, yeah, no, no, it's a great framing because what you're really describing is a national security issue for the United States. It's both an economic one as well as a health one. And so, you know, historically, for good reasons, well-intentioned reasons, we slowly moved our manufacturing of these, as we call them, critical and essential medications outside of the U.S. And, you know, now 20, 30, a generation or two have gone by. We're much smarter than we were two generations ago. We have better technology capabilities. So now it's time to, to bring it back. And we can do so smarter, like you were describing, faster, yeah. cheaper. And also, at the same time, solve this secure, national security issue, uh, because we've seen the threats before. We won't go into specifics because we're not about politics, but we've right. seen the threats emerge you know, in the past uh, few years. And uh, it, it's critical to you know, the health of a nation to be able to sustain itself. Uh, so, yeah, that's excellent background. I think everyone can sort of frame on that, understand that. Yeah, so let's. Let's talk about the, the different areas then that are really impacted. And I know we can go a couple different ways. And I'll really leave it to you to, to put it in the proper order. But I know uh, in the area of analytics and the Aver, in the area of cyber, and I know we want to talk physical cyber as well right. as sort of uh, virtual cyber uh, or cyber cyber. So um, maybe we should hit the analytics first and then uh, go into the cyber and how physical and, 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 and virtual cyber come together. Sure. I'd be, ha be happy to do that. Um, I want to, I want to put an exclamation point at the end of your comments about national security, because, because you're right. It, it's, it is a national security issue. It, it's also a military security issue because what we're seeing is some of these same issues of the availability of essential medicines and what is referred to as medical countermeasures, the, the mm -hmm. things that we would do in the face of, say, um, a, a bioterror event or something like that, uh, are subject to the same constraints uh, in some cases. And so uh, we're, we're, we're addressing both simultaneously, which is, is really good news. And, and the, 
The other component of this is the strategic API reserve. So we have a strategic national stockpile of finished drugs and other kinds of supplies. And, you know, you think about it as sort of like the, the strategic petroleum reserve. What, what we have not had uh, and what Flow is building uh, on behalf of the U.S. government is a strategic active pharmaceutical ingredient reserve. So you and I come from the world of health tech, and we talk about APIs as application programming right. interfaces. And I spent a good part of my career doing that kind of API. Yeah. Now I'm involved in a different kind of API. So this is the actual active part of the drug that is later on added to the other constituents and diluted and turned into a tablet or an injectable or, or yeah. whatever. Turns out there's a lot of advantages to storing drugs that way, much longer shelf life. And also, at the moment of demand, we can produce the form that's in demand. So the concentration of the drug might be different for an adult versus a child. And so depending on the shortage, um, we, we can convert that API into a finished drug to meet the specific need. Um, I'm harping on this because it's going to come into play in a few minutes when we talk about predictive yeah. analytics. Um, so. Um, we definitely recognized from, from the founding of the company that data and analytics were an important part of solving this puzzle. Um, and um, that, that can, we continue to hold really fast to that belief. And there's a couple of areas that we're, we are developing capabilities in. So the first one is our drug portfolio. What, what should we be making? Uh, how much of it should we be making? And so we have that question. The federal government has that question. And the federal government has that question about uh, for the, the strategic API reserve as well. What, what should we be making and putting in there? Um, and uh, there's a lot of data that's been available from what I call the supply side of the supply chain, if you will, the manufacturing and distribution but not so much from the point of care, the, the place where you and I have spent most of our career. Um, and it turns out that, that there's a rich data set there that can be very informative as to that question. What, what should we be making and how much? Um, and there, there's a couple levels to that question because it, you know, it starts with, well, what do people use today? And, that, and, and analyzing that. Um, but we're also learning, particularly as we talk with our pediatric colleagues, is what we're making and distributing today is not necessarily what they actually want. Um, in general, we don't make drugs for pediatrics in the United States. We make drugs for adults. And then we expect our pediatric colleagues to, to compound and adopt and, and dilute and manipulate. Um, and there's some obvious disadvantages to that. So part of this portfolio discovery is also kind of figuring out what are the new things? What, what's what's the, the new opportunity? Um, I keep thinking about uh, what Henry Ford said when someone asked him, why didn't you ask your customers what they needed? And he said, because they would have told me they needed a faster horse and buggy. Right, right. And so I'm trying to kind of solve that issue by having data that will open our minds collectively and provide clues about um, where, where my clinical group should be, be thinking and in, in this discovery part of what do we make and how much. 
Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And, and so, yeah, in order to do that, uh, the whole, you need to have all the data and run the analytics so you can do this predictive uh, capabilities and predictive modeling. What about uh, AI and ML, you know? Are, yeah. Are- so so um, I want to be really clear. What I, the, the first part of this that I'm describing, a lot of it is, is it's descriptive analytics. It's, it's right. not predictive. Um, it's, it's, we're, we're kind of still at, at step one of, well, what's actually happening at the point of care now? And um, now that that data is available, we're, we're kind of on a journey of, of discovery of, well, what kind of analysis can you wring out of that and what's actionable? based on right. that. Um, but you're right. We're very interested in the predictive piece as well, because the other part of the equation, if you're going to mitigate a shortage is I, I need to know what to make and how much, but I also need to know when a shortage is emerging. Well, when do I release that? And when do I adjust? Um, and we're pretty bullish on this because um, we're, we're seeing in nature some companies that are demonstrating the ability to predict an emerging shortage, let's say 30 to 60 days out. So you can see it starting to build at the point of care. Um, we believe with that kind of advance warning, we will know it's time to release drug from the SAPIR, from the strategic API reserve. Right convert that to finished drug and get it distributed. In effect, that's our buffer to deal with the immediate problem. Meanwhile, we're building these highly automated agile manufacturing capabilities that can pivot to adjust the manufacturing line to make up for the shortage that's emerging. And so it's that combination of, I can see it coming, I've got a buffer, a reserve in place to deal with it immediately. And I've got agile manufacturing that can adjust to meet that emerging need. And so the mantra around my shop is the best drug shortage is the one that never happens. Yeah. Now we, yeah. we've got a long way to go to, to build this out. And there's some nuances I want to get to in a minute. But um, I, I love the concept. And as we talk with our various partners and and with the U.S. government, um, these ideas are resonating very, very deeply. Yeah. So it sounds like in the manufacturing process, too, because, in fact, one of the reasons that manufacturing left the U.S. uh, generations ago is because it was very manually intensive. Now we have automation. So can you speak at all to the sort of automation, because what I'm envisioning are these, uh, you know, like today in our in our pharmacies, in a traditional hospital now, you, you finally have robotics going on. Right. That's right. Doing all the manual things that used to be done and, and they have a higher quality as a result of taking out the human element. So I, I, so I picture when you speak, you know, these are these massive facilities uh, where they're able to grab the, the various uh, APIs or, you know, the, the chemicals that, that make the formulas yeah. for medicines and are just like uh, these robots ma- creating all these things. Yeah, that's certainly the vision. Um, you know, it's it's a crawl, walk, run. Right. Uh, and so we'll, we will get there over time. But but that the definitely the vision is that is that we're, we're highly data driven. We're highly automated, um, you know, and, and with that comes reliability and, and efficiency and all the other things that, that we've seen in other industries. Um, the other thing that's been really exciting about this, it's a, it's a, 
secondary impact is um, so we're we are building these facilities in Petersburg, Virginia, which is about 20 minutes southwest of Richmond. It has been historically one of Virginia's most economically depressed areas and and kind of intransigently. So it's just other areas have improved over the decades and Petersburg really hadn't. And this has been a tremendous boon to the to the economy and, and the citizens that live there. Um, when we're done, we will have created about 300 high quality jobs. And the economists tell us the, the multiplier effect there is about fivefold. Um, so it, we're not only doing a great thing for the country, we feel like we're doing something really good for the state of Virginia and, and yeah. for Petersburg as well. It's, it's one of those things about, you know, do well by doing good. Um, yeah. And, and it, it really does seem to play out. Um, there, there's, a, there's an interesting nuance to all this, and, and I want to make sure we get to it. Uh, and, I, and I'm really interested in what your take's going to be on this, Ed. You know, I, I'm a pretty much a sunny optimist. And um, I generally believe sunlight and transparency are, are the remedy for lots and lots of, of issues. Um, and I generally believe when it comes to analytics, if you expose more information to people, the world will gradually become a better place. But one of the really fascinating questions that we're wrestling with right now is when it comes to supply chain analytics and shortages, you can actually make the problem worse by exposing information. You, you can trigger, it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You, you can trigger hoarding by sharing data that shows there may be an emerging shortage. And we've seen this in the real world. We, we've yeah. had a so-called gas shortage a few months ago in the United States. But my understanding is it wasn't actually a shortage of product. There was panic buying and hoarding. So we, we generated an artificial increase in demand um, that impacted the, the supply. And so one of the things that, that I'm starting to think through is, as we begin to see some of, of the analytic capability is when and how and who do you expose this information to uh, in a way that will be productive, not, not destructive. Um, and it's like a lot of things in my life, Ed, I don't know the answer. I've got fewer and fewer answers. But I think it's a really good question. And, and I suspect our colleagues in places like behavioral economics and others can help us unpack this, what I think of as the behavioral layer. Right. And I, yeah. I wanted to stress it today because, you know, all of us have spent a good part of our career doing analytics and we've seen good things come from it. And this is the first time, at least in my career, where I've encountered this uh, we need to pause here for a minute and be very thoughtful about this part of the, the question, because we actually could make things a lot worse if we're not careful. Yeah, I'm, I'm generally with you, Dave, where I, I'm a big believer in sharing. And, you know, when you share with each other, you build off one another, you get that synergies and, you know, uh, everyone benefits. Uh, certainly there's areas in the world where we have bad actors and who might take advantage of, 
situations like that and use it against you. And so that's the, yeah, that's the ethical dilemma um, in what we're talking about. And yeah, that, those are always hard questions. It reminded me, you know, I used to, I used to hear all these all the time. You know, I, I was on the C-suite of a very accomplished organization, as were you. And uh, listening to, you know, these sort of ethical dilemmas on a weekly basis, you know, and, and various topics. Uh, and it was like always like, wow, uh, th- those are those are hard, hard to uh, work through and, and come up with the right right answer. Right. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you a I'll, let me give you a, a super concrete example of some work we're doing right now. So uh, I mentioned the Children's Hospital Coalition and I've got a clinical advisory council, uh, you know, really smart, dedicated pharmacists from all over the country. And one of their jobs is to design the portfolio, help us figure out what we should be making for them. Meanwhile, in another work stream, uh, I'm, we're, we've been working with USP, United States Pharmacopeia, and you know many of us know them as the, as the quality medicines folks. But it turns out um, they've got an impressive um, analytics group as well. And they've been building a tool called the Medicine Supply Map. And, and it's basically an attempt to map the supply side of the supply chain and predict fragility at the level of the drug or of, of the API. And so they're able to produce a, a score to say, for this drug, for the next 12 months looking forward, there's a relative risk of a shortage. It's, it's 90% higher than the average in this category. And they can go a step further, even break it down further and say, here are the factors that are driving that. It could be cost or complexity or quality or geography or the number of manufacturers. So it's fascinating. It's kind of a diagnostic of shortage. So here's what's at risk and why. Um, And we've been talking about, can you bring these two work streams together? So if I expose the threat of future shortage to my colleagues that are actually managing shortages every day in their shops, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I don't think we know yet. We're, 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 we're trying to think yeah. that through. Yeah. So it's really powerful information, but we want to make sure we use it in the right way. And I, I'm, I, I sound like I'm being paternalistic here, and that's not it at all. I, I think we have to figure it out together. I just know it's really important to think hard about this. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, you, there's that whole law of unintended consequences. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Hey, I want to wrap up by talking, because uh, we kind of teased at the beginning, the whole, this whole concept of the physical, you know, security, cybersecurity. Um, yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? So that's been just so interesting and fun for me. Um really my first in-depth exposure to cyber physical systems, the, if you will, the internet of things. So how do devices, smart devices, network devices, how, how does this all come together and work? And of course, we're building this highly automated plant. So all kinds of devices, sensors, valves, uh, stuff I've never heard of before. <laughs> um and um, it's, it's all connected. Um, and so part of, the, part of it is about the, the interface between the cyber and the physical. How, do, how does that work? Um, and, 
and that's been very, very interesting to me. Um, it's process flow and data flow and, and the, the connecting of physical systems to traditional IT systems. Um, but the other aspect of it that's been quite interesting is it brings a whole nother set of cybersecurity problems to bear. Um, so you and I are used to thinking about cybersecurity for enterprise systems and, you know, passwords and the human firewall and segmenting our networks and all, all those things, you know, threat detection and response and all those things. And, and of course, we're doing all of that as well. Um, but we have this added layer of physical systems that are also vulnerable. And you can read the stories in the press about the company where the goldfish tank was hacked (laughs) and it was attacked to a network that wasn't properly segmented. And that became the gateway to eventually, you know, uh, some sort of very significant uh, cyber event. Um, So we're having to to be quite thoughtful uh, both about how do you automate these systems and the control processes and everything come with it and also defend them at the same time. And then I'm not saying anything that isn't immediately apparent, which is uh, we're playing in an industry that has some pretty big incumbents, uh, large multinationals and large nation states. And our business is disrupting. So we have to be quite thoughtful about the target that that paints on our back yeah. and, and the appropriate level of investment in cybersecurity. Um, yeah, it goes, goes back to the national security. We were talking about the, the military security. That, um, that's right. Yeah, I mean, and, and in addition to corporate, corporate espionage and, 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 yeah, we've seen there's all sorts of examples around the world. Yeah, and the whole area of IoT you know, with all, all the additional devices, even just biomed devices in a traditional hospital, you know, that's, that's right. still an area of major concern. Is and then as you go further out in that value chain, supply chain, uh, it gets it gets the risk goes higher and higher. Um, so it is something that you really have to uh, sort of uh, bear down on and make sure that you've got all the potential pathways into your system uh, secured. Right, and it's a uh, you know. Uh, as you know, because you've dealt with this your whole career, there's always more you could do. Yeah. Uh, and and so we spend a lot of time on the 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 what is the value on investment or the return on investment, and how do we stage our investments in these areas to match the stage of the company and the complexity of, of what we're doing. Um, it's a constant risk reward discussion. Um, as my daddy used to say, you can sleep well or eat well. And, and I think we're constantly trying to balance the, the those two things, uh, particularly around cybersecurity. Yeah. I'll also remember that phrase with, uh, yeah. he talks on cyber. No, Dave, this has been fascinating and we covered a whole host of, uh, areas around the disruption. Cause we don't, like I said, in digital voices, we don't talk about it too much. So I know that the audience will be, you know, pretty excited about having heard this about the disruptions that's taking place. It's fascinating. It gives me a lot of hope actually and encourage encourages me a little bit that there's companies like yours that are out there and, you know, helping to protect us uh, because not only is it important just from a health point of view, but like we established a couple of times, really from a security point of view uh, from a, you know, a global level, it's, it's, it's really critical 
uh, for the, uh, should I say, success of the earth. So, uh, Dave, thank you so much for being on a second time. Uh, You're always so interesting and fascinating, and I really appreciate you. Oh, Ed, thanks so much. It's it's always a pleasure. And uh, right back at you in spades. All right. That wraps up Digital Voices. And also now we know where to pack our bags for our next trip is Nepal. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening. 